0: everybody. Welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements, so let's just jump right in. First up, the Computer History Archives project recently uploaded an old Sony promotional video that showed a factory tour of their Tokyo factory that showed CRTs being made, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. And honestly, this is just one of those short, I think it's 11 minutes long, nerdy videos that I basically think everybody who listens to this would probably want to watch. It's just one of those very cool glimpses back in time, and you kind of see how some of the CRT technology is basically exactly the same as it was when it ended in the late 2000s, but also you kind of get a glimpse into the past and see some of those really cool CRT designs. I don't know. I, I thought it was really awesome and absolutely worth sharing with all of you. I also was kind of smiling when I saw the the different price differences because one of those TVs uh, in 1962, a 12-inch, I believe, was $250, which I went on one of those websites that adjusts price for today It's basically twenty five hundred dollars today, so it was kind of neat to see, you know, what the the differences are, Um, and you know, if anybody has one of those twelve inch or thirteen inch nineteen seventies Sony CRTs, one of the color ones, I would love to pick one of those up. I don't have a use for it. I think I would plug it into my Atari 2600. I might do a live stream where I opened it up, cleaned it up, and recapped it or something. It's not something I need, but if anybody has one that they'd be willing to sell for a reasonable price, please let me know because I just think it'd be a fun thing to have in the collection. You know, one of the ones that's like, it's got the VHF and UHF crank circular knobs on the side, and uh, I just think those are really cool. So if anybody has one, let me know. But either way, definitely check out this video because it's worth watching. And the uh, Computer History Archive projects. Their YouTube channel has a bunch of cool stuff on it, many of which I've talked about before. So you might want to subscribe and kind of just keep an eye on them. Humble Bazooka just released an adapter that allows you to use Genesis AV cables on an Atari Jaguar. It's called, as you would expect, the Jag to Gen. The price is $35, and it should be compatible with everything that's compatible with a Genesis 2 Mini DIN. So composite video cables, RGB cables, HD Retrovision, Rad 2X. I haven't personally tested one, but as long as it's spec the same as the other Humble Bazooka adapters, it should just be compatible with everything. So this this is a good adapter if you already have a Genesis 2 cable, or uh, if you have extras of one, or they're just cheaper and easier to find. So, the overall price might be a good option for you. But if you are new to the Jaguar, or if you're just kind of revisiting your setup, I would actually go to the main Jaguar page on Retro RGB and check out all of the different AV adapters that are available. Because while, yes, you could absolutely just buy an Atari Jaguar uh, RGB SCART cable that'll work totally fine, you might want to consider the other options. And a lot of the other options are from Humble Bazooka, so I don't feel bad (laughs) telling you maybe you don't need this one because I'm just pointing you to another one of their designs. But I love the AIOA, the all-in-one and the plus that breaks out every single port that the Jaguar has, and even the, the, the... The most expensive one has the Jagnet adapter built in, which is ridiculous, which I love, of course. So I, I guess I'm saying that just to say, if you're not really sure what your total setup is going to be like, maybe you're just getting started, maybe you're going to redo everything, why not have every option? On the flip side, if you already know what your setup's like, this could be the perfect addition. It could just simplify everything, and it's absolutely worth taking a look at. So honestly, just check out the links in the post or just go directly to the main Jaguar page on RetroRGB and just kind of have a think about your setup and see which one fits your needs the best. But for the first time ever, there's a lot of awesome choices and accessories for the Atari Jaguar. And speaking of the Atari Jaguar, Big Dick Whitehouse just released an awesome new update to the Big PMU emulator that allows you in some cases to render the Jaguar's graphics in higher resolutions. And Rich did an entire video talking about how this scripting works, how you might do it. It is a little bit complicated, but you essentially take scripts and load them into the emulator, and that kind of talks to the game's code and tells it what to do. Now, I am vastly oversimplifying here, but I just want to make sure that everybody has a general idea of how this thing works. And Rich even included some scripts for Alien versus Predator that unlocks the frame rate, as well as Cybermorph that does some of the higher resolution rendering. And this not only has the scripting feature, but it also added some very cool development features that Rich also showed in the, um, in the video that he posted, doing things like, almost real-time recompiling so if you want to try some of these things out you don't need to change the code recompile reload you basically just take a screenshot or i'm sorry a uh, save state and then change the code and it reloads the state right where you left off so it's basically real time changing of this stuff certainly way faster than it ever would have been back in the day so you could really mess with it. Now, creating these patches is going to be a little bit complicated because you have to go in with some some programming and software uh, understanding of how these games work in order to tell it what to render at, etc. But the good news is once you're done, you could share these patches with other people. Maybe we could get a database up somewhere. ConsoleMods.org wiki seems like a very good place for that. Uh, and we could just kind of have it so people could Edit these games and then you just distribute the patches, which is totally legal. So that kind of gets around ROM distribution. It, I think this is a really good idea overall. But basically, this is the building blocks to us getting an HD library of Jaguar games, believe it or not. So uh, please excuse my very terrible explanation. I'm not a software programmer. I'm just trying to give a good blanket view of everything. Uh, so if you want more info, absolutely check out the video. Please consider supporting Rich on Patreon. Uh, all of this stuff is only available because people support him on Patreon and allow him the time to do this, even while recovering for some crazy cancer treatments. We talked about that a lot in the interview we did, but there's, there's Rick. Rich has got some crazy ass stories. Uh, but so I'm, I'm really, really appreciative of him posting and all of this, all of these free updates to this free emulator, even when he's going through all this stuff. So check out the post for all the info you need, but all the real details are in his website and in that video that he just posted. The Behar brothers have just released two new AV adapters for the original Xbox, and if you were in the market for one of these, definitely pay attention because these seem pretty awesome. The first is essentially their Sedusa, Exedusa, I'm still not sure how to pronounce it, but the first is essentially the same thing, but rather than plug directly into the Xbox's port or AV port, it has a pigtail adapter on it. So this is great if you have your Xbox on a shelf that's not quite deep enough to fit everything in. You want to just kind of put the AV adapter on its side behind it in order to slide it back farther. I do think the original Seduce's totally fine. Uh, I think maybe you might be worried about some kind of uh, strain relief, possibly depending on your setup. But if you had any of those worries and you don't own one yet, maybe just spend five bucks more and get this one. But it's the same exact adapter otherwise. So it has safe dual output. You could have component video and HDMI output running at the same time. It's got a ton of different audio outputs. It has left and right audio, uh, digital coax, digital if, as well as the digital audio going through the HDMI port. And you could safely use all of those at the same time as well. And it is true digital audio. It's not analog to digital audio conversion. It's just the analog to digital video conversion on the HDMI side. Now, the other one that they just released is basically the same thing, but instead of an HDMI port, there's a VGA output. So it does component to VGA conversion on the output, which is awesome because that means if you're somebody that likes to game on a VGA CRT monitor and through a scaler via streaming or for a second screen or whatever else, this one adapter could do all of that. So I think this is what true value in an Xbox adapter looks like. You get a whole bunch of features that Really, if you got every one of these features purchased separately, it would be about the same price, so if not more. So this is kind of like the opposite of what we talked about last week. Here, um, I believe Yossi has sent me a few of them, and as soon as they arrive, I'm going to be doing a live stream of those as well as the Electron Shepherd adapter, which is cheaper but only HDMI output, which might be better for your uh, setup or not. So I figure I'm going to just kind of do a stream with that, and I also. Just because I'm a CRT nerd and I have to, the second half of that stream is probably going to be me just playing Xbox on a VGA CRT monitor and streaming through the other output just for the hell of it. But honestly, if you're in the market for an Xbox HDMI adapter, I would absolutely check out this one. And the one from Electron Shepherd, and C, as well as the Chimeric Systems one. Their website it says they're away, which is why I keep forgetting to, to name drop them about these. So as long as, it, you know, which either, either one of those fits your needs better. But check out all of these, because here is where you're going to get a lot of, for your money for an Xbox adapter. But hopefully I could follow up with a live stream and just verify their performance and everything else fairly soon. Fixel has just announced pre-orders on three new optical drive emulators. One is a massively big announcement, but the other two were previously talked about, so let's start with those. Those two are for the PCFX. One of them will be $300 and it will replace the original drive, so that's perfect for anybody with a PCFX and a dead drive. However, the other is $315, and that will work alongside the original one. So if you have a PCFX with a working drive, that's obviously the one to get. So you could retain both functionality of it. This is the one that we talked about before. So pre-orders are open if you're interested. However, the big one is called the FODE, the FODE. I should have asked Fixel how to pronounce it. However, this will be compatible with a Ton of different consoles, including the Philips CDI, Dreamcast VA01 and 2, both 20 and 21 pin variants of the Sega Saturn, a bunch of different PlayStation revisions, Sega CD1, Sega CD2, the JVC XI, Wonder Mega, and the CDX, and a bunch of other consoles will be added fairly soon, all using the same board, which is great because. Optical drive emulators are things that many people need, but to justify the cost and the absolute time it takes to build one of these things, you know, I'm not sure how many people would really want to focus on a Philips CDI optical drive emulator, but having one board that could work on many different consoles is great. But... On top of that, there's going to be a few extra features involved, and my favorite one, which isn't completely mapped out yet uh, for which console is which, but some consoles you'll be able to use this along with the original CD-ROM drive. So it would make sense to me on consoles like the giant CDI unit, the one that John Linneman holds up his entire CRT collection with, that you'd probably be able to fit this somewhere else inside of that and have dual functionality, but something like the top loading CDI, there's probably not enough room. So I think things like that still need to be ironed out. A bunch of extra little features probably are still in the works, but I think it's safe to place your pre-order if you wanted to use it in any one of those consoles, because this is going to be some pretty exciting stuff. I have more details for all of the currently announced features right here in the post, as well as any of the pre-order info and stuff like that. But this is really exciting because A lot of those consoles could really use an optical drive emulator. And even ones like the Sega CD. We already have an excellent Mr. Core. We already have the Mega EverDrive Pro. And of course, the Mega SD did it first. But what if you have a really great working Sega CD unit and you love it? You've had it since you were a kid, but the drive's not really working anymore. Or the drive is working, but you want to preserve it. So you take it out and put this in its place. That's, I think, the perfect example for a multi-use Optical drive emulator because I don't think Fixel would have sold enough to justify all of that engineering if he just made a Sega CD 1 emulator, let's say. But the fact that this could be used on many different consoles. I think now this is just the perfect scenario. You know, I, I think this is just—I'm I'm gushing over it. I think it's awesome. I can't wait for it to be released. I can't wait to start testing it. And I just think this is this is something that many of us have been waiting for, regardless of if it's something that's going to sell a ton for one console or three for another. Doesn't really matter. I think the fact that it's one board that could work with all is a very big deal. Uh, price for that is two hundred and fifty dollars. Both of these are due to arrive this fall, and there should be more info available once beta units start to go out. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions recently posted a video showcasing the world's smallest GameCube. And no, it's not a Raspberry Pi Nano in a box. This is actually a real Wii motherboard trimmed down to the Omega standards of trimming, the smallest possible way to do that, as well as mixed with a custom circuit boards designed by Crazy Gadget as well as a very detailed shell designed by Wesk to house all of the components and it looks just like a GameCube and even though this thing is tiny you could still use original GameCube controllers via some small little pigtail adapters so I think this is absolutely awesome. Now, this is not practical. This is probably not something that most people are going to run out to start doing. But this is one of those things that very respectfully, when people go, why would you want to do that? Why the f*** not? Seriously, I love nerd projects like this. I love when people just make silly and crazy and weird things. And the fact that it is technically a fully functioning GameCube, because GameCube and Wii, it's, you know, complete compatibility there, so for the most part. So I think this is great. While it does not play discs, you can load them the same way you normally would load Homebrew through a Wii. And I just think it's an awesome project, and I strongly recommend checking out the video from Tito. I just released a podcast with Mr. Script Creator Wizzo where we discuss all of the different things he has available right now. And if you've been listening to me talk about Mr. Stuff at all in the past six months, you've definitely heard me absolutely gush over these scripts because they allow a much smoother workflow for what I do, which is why I wanted to share it with everybody else. And I've been talking to Wizzo on and off. I found him absolutely easy to work with, really enjoyed just going back and forth, testing different stuff, and he never laughed at any of my dumb ideas is. So I just thought, hey, you know, we're talking about all this stuff. Why don't we do a podcast and go through it all? And that's exactly what this is. We kind of just chatted a bit, but we also went through every single script that's available. And I would be willing to bet that if you own a mister, by the time you're done with this podcast, at least one of these scripts will be installed on your mister, or you'll bookmark it to install later. But most likely... More than one of these scripts, and not only do I like all of them as they are, Wizzo's also continuing to work on ones like the last played. So when you, uh, which is supported natively by Mister. However, if you use Wizzo's version, it launches both the core and the last game that you played. It's not currently working with arcade stuff, but the one that's built into Mr. is, and you have to enable that to enable his. So that kind of works itself out pretty nicely at the moment. But there's just so many helpful tools, and I've loaded the remote app on every one of my misters. That has been a massive, massive help. Um, The favorites, of course, I was talking about when I did the last Mr. video. So honestly, if you own a Mr., listen to this podcast because I guarantee you a lot of this stuff is going to be something that you would implement in your own setup. And also there were a couple of people that discussed and said, oh, you know, a lot of this stuff should be native in the Mr. Core and, you know, in the Mr. Code. But I don't know. I kind of love both sides of this because, if, if Wizzo would just hand this stuff over and Sorg were to just roll this in, then that's a whole other bunch of stuff that's needed to be supported by the core Mr. Crew. Um, so I, I kind of like that there's different scripts for different people, that it doesn't kind of bloat up the Mr., and that way you could really just install the ones that you need. But that's only my personal preference. You know, Come to your own conclusion after you're done listening, but definitely if you own a Mr., give that one a listen because I think there's a bunch of tools in there that would really help your setup. Nintendo recently issued a cease and desist to Valve, the company that runs Steam, in order for them to remove the Dolphin emulator from their service before it was even officially launched. And there's two things to discuss in this. First, our... Just the facts, and then the second is a bit of opinion. I will say that Modern Vintage Gamer did two awesome videos about this. One is more of an update, but I would strongly recommend watching both. They're not very long either, so you could kind of get brought up to speed that way. But I will give you the short version here. First, the facts. 99%. Uh, It seems that the Dolphin emulator works by incorporating Nintendo's cryptographic keys, which is essentially distributing something with Nintendo's intellectual property in it. So for them to send a cease and desist is perfectly reasonable. And this part of it, at least in my opinion, is not Nintendo going, we're going to shut down all emulation you know, big evil Nintendo, that part of it makes complete and total sense. And I understand why they would do that because you have to draw a line with this stuff. So I I totally understand that. But the second half is when they doubled down on this, they made a statement that could be interpreted in a couple of different ways. And one makes them look very stupid and the other makes a lot more sense. So here's the opinion part. Um, They made a statement that if they were referring to things like ROMs of Switch games, which are currently being actively sold, would make sense. The statement was basically that would harm development and stifle innovation. That makes sense, and that's fair. If you talk about developers working their butt off to make a game as good as they possibly can just to find out that the day that it was released, it was dumped online, and most of the people playing it are playing a stolen version, that makes sense. That's a fair statement. However the way they worded it almost makes it seem like they're trying to say homebrew emulation harms development and stifles innovation when Nintendo themselves have used the community's tools before and their entire Switch Online service is emulation. So people like the Dolphin team who come up with amazing ways to play these games and by the way, play them in higher resolutions and higher frame rates than Nintendo's own original hardware that's the opposite of stifling innovation and harming development. That is just nothing but promoting everything. So I wanted to make sure I was clear about those points. Once again, if you want to hear more about the situation, the technical reasons why modern vintage gamers totally got you covered, but I wanted to to share these points just to kind of clarify what's going on because when Nintendo makes very stupid press releases like that, it's totally open to interpretation and, I really wish they would clarify which, and I, they're definitely not going to because if they really do think, if they really do wish that all other emulation would go away, it'll just kind of show how far up their own butts their heads are. But on the flip side, if they really do mean stolen games that are still brand new and being sold hurts development, yeah, no, I am completely agree with that. I, I don't pirate brand new games at all. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say that. I've absolutely bought games And then had a hacked console, so I just downloaded the ROM of it and left my game up on my shelf. Totally, 100% have done that, but I'm not a game thief. I have every Super Nintendo game ever made, but I don't steal Switch games and stuff like that. Uh, But, you know, that's that's up to you to decide what you would like to do. I would like to support developers so that we can continue to get these awesome games made, but you better believe I'm always going to be supporting homebrew emulation. And I think... Just, just out of spite, I might try playing when I eventually I get around to playing the new Zelda game, I might buy a hard copy of it, but then play it on that new emulator and try to render it in the higher frames per second, just out of spite and to see if it could be done. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, and if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go back and check out Lou's video where he's got all the details. First up, Jimmy Stones just posted a video comparing his Juno 1st core to the MAME driver to see how well the two stay in sync, and it seems like it's pretty much spot on, so I love comparisons and stuff like that. While it might not affect your actual gameplay, the nerd side of me really likes seeing that, so well done, Jimmy. Also, Anton Gale showed off the opening title sequence for Elevator Action running on the mister, so it means progress is certainly moving along. And also, Hans Bayer has made progress on MystX getting DDR3 memory working, which is important because Mystery uses a lot of DDR3 memory, so that should help with porting cores. I'm still, really rooting for that project. I think that's going to be the long term future of it. Also, Robert showed the N64 core working, showing a Hello World program. So it's now starting to move over to the FPGA from his software emulator. It's still going to be a while, but it's still really neat to see the progress on this. Also, track 17 is in search of a functional gold medalist PCB to purchase, which would help complete the Alpha 68K core. This game is reminiscent of Konami's track and field. So if you have the desired PCB and are willing to part with it, please contact him. Next, MD Fourier, which uh, is the open source software from Artemio that allows you to test audio in many different amazing ways. I've been talking about that since its release, and I love it. That was now used, or a special version of that was used, to test the audio signatures of the IRM M92 hardware. So I I haven't had a chance to write a post about that. I absolutely will at some point soon. My apologies to Artemio and the team. Um, But this is exciting stuff because now this could potentially be ported over to different arcade boards to have more accurate sound emulation from those, which is pretty awesome. Because, you know, the FPGA devs are doing an amazing job. But anytime you have an objective tool that helps you do this rather than subjectively listening or trying to find different things. It's always going to be a much bigger deal and a little easier to go through. Shiny Metal 6 is planning to release a core for the Rockwell AIM-65 computer, which was introduced in 1978. Also, Retro Castle has released a new Mr. Setup that has built-in support for the Mike Simone YC code. That's en route to me right now. I should be doing a live stream with that in the coming weeks. Um, but this essentially is the same as having it all integrated into a Saturn Mini-Din, which is great because if, if that's the kind of setup you're looking for, now you don't have to have any external dongles. It's all built right into that. A track 17 announced that the Toa Plan shooter Batsu Gun is being looked at for implementation. Um, all official versions would be supported if it worked. Next, Darren O has been trying to finish up Rally Bike, which is an arcade game that runs on the Toa Plan version 1 hardware. Uh, it's coming along, but there's a few more issues. Neo Geo Pocket Core is still under development. There's still some issues that need to be resolved, but it's making its way to completion, and I believe the BIOS boot, uh, Hotego posted a video of that recently. Hotego also announced that the schematics extraction for the Parodius DA arcade PCB have been finished, which is a very important step in getting a core developed for it. Darren O released two new beta cores for some Plan V1 arcade shooters, they're Vimana and Same, Same, Same. So to get them, just enable the CoinOp collection database and update all in order to get it. And there is also now a working Mr. Core for Kick and Run. So all that's left for do to do now for Pierco is to fix the DMA audio, uh, the DMA and also fix the audio. So as usual, thanks to Lou for keeping up with all this stuff. There's no way I could. Uh, I really appreciate it. So please make sure to go and subscribe to Lou's channel and everything. I just posted a review of a USB hub, and I'm sure hearing this, you're gonna go, who the hell cares about USB hubs? And you're mostly right. For a long time, you could pick up dirt cheap USB 3.0 hubs and they worked exactly as you would expect them to. But recently, I've had trouble finding USB 3.1 hubs that work really at all, which is a strange thing to say. Um, And I couldn't even find any USB 3.2 hubs. So I was able to uh, find one from the brand Rosinway, and I did the basic testing in that I took a USB 3.2 flash drive that runs at 600 megabytes per second, and I plugged it directly into my motherboard's USB 3.1 port. This one particular board doesn't have USB 3.2, but it does have USB 3.1, so perfect for these tests and then uh which by the way you definitely want to double check your manual on your motherboard because these are not the blue ports these are usually red orange some other different color but i ran the speed test with it plugged directly into the port and got about 650 megs per second read and 800 write, uh give or take a little bit so then i plugged this hub into that same port and i plugged the usb stick into the hub and got basically the same results within 10 megs a second. And previously, the two hubs that I had bought to test before that, two completely different hubs, I believe two different chipsets in them. One was self-powered. The other one was powered by the motherboard. I never got more than 40 megabytes per second. 4-0, not 400. So there was obviously something wrong with those. And when I was talking to Wendell from Level One Techs about this, he had a couple of theories as to why I was running into those issues. But basically, it's just that the part shortage and a bunch of other things have happened and made quality parts hard to find. So after all of that, I, I and by the way, if you, you're into all that, I, I linked to the interview we did. There's tons of good nerd information in there, but... I figured since it's so hard to find a good high-speed USB hub, I might as well just share it with everybody because it doesn't even matter if you're into gaming. You probably need a decent hub. And if you're using hard drives or USB sticks or webcams, capture cards, anything that requires a little bit of speed, this is important. One other fun thing that I I just didn't think mattered at all was I end up using the power buttons all the time now. And each of the 10 USB ports has a power button next to it. And at first I was like, oh, that's neat. But I just, I started realizing how much I end up unplugging and replugging something for whatever reason, which obviously wears the USB ports down. And now when I'm done using it, I just turn it off. So whether it's something like my micro SD card reader, which I only need powered on when there's actually an SD card in there, or if I'm powering my mister with this, or you're going to do a you know, a firmware update on something and you need to power cycle. There's so many more times I would have never guessed that I've been using these power buttons. And a a lot of USB hubs have those now. But funny, one of the USB hubs that I tested that was barely working at all and couldn't pass through the correct speed the on off buttons didn't work on that one either. It just it didn't matter. On or off, you still pass data to to your computer. So the buttons on this one are useful and they actually work. So I figured I wanted to do this review, post it on social media and share it all with you. And uh, hopefully people didn't see that and go, that's so dumb. Why would you review a USB hub? Or if you did, hopefully you at least listened to this for the, the explanation as to why. Well, that's it for this week. I'm pretty sure I'm up to date on any time sensitive stuff, pre-orders, things that just came out, any of that. I probably missed one or two, but I am so far behind and I'm trying so hard to catch up, but I'm also trying to have a little bit of fun as well. I just did a live stream with that 36 inch JVC monitor, which is going to a good home this Friday. And I also got to show off a really cool Metroid hack at the same time. And I also got to test some switches that I was, (laughs) yeah. you know, my crazy live streams, there's always a million things going on. So I'm going to continue to do that. Hopefully, a lot of the things that I do could be caught up in these live streams, because it's just so much fun hanging out with all of you while I do them. And I'm always pretty blatantly honest about, hey, this is a super nerdy, boring live stream. You know, don't show up unless you really want to get into the ones and zeros. And hey, this is me playing a video game. Do you like Metroid? Come hang out. Like, I try to be honest about what to expect, but I just really appreciate when you all show up and hang out. So expect a bunch more of these. I'm going to probably do a few at night as well to see how that goes. But I end up up early in the morning and i i work pedal to the metal all day so by the time you know eight or nine p.m goes i'm usually kind of sleepy so uh, we'll see We'll see how I do. Maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll just be too grumpy and it won't be as fun. But we'll figure it all out. But anyway, thanks so much for everybody that watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially people who support in any way because it's really you who's keeping all this stuff going. So thank you all. I'll see you soon for a bunch of live streams, and hopefully I'll start to catch up and be able to share a lot more of the very cool things that I've been wanting to write up and just haven't had time to.